Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. podcast is sponsored by Health IQ. And if you don't remember Health IQ from the previous episodes that they've sponsored, Health IQ is an insurance company on a mission to improve the world's health by rewarding runners, cyclists, weightlifters, swimmers, yogis, well-managed diabetics, and other Americans living a healthy lifestyle. They're actually the first insurance company rewarding patients with type 2 diabetes who manage their A1C with a healthy diet and exercise with large savings on their life insurance. To support the show and get a free quote, Go to healthiq.com slash DDT. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. And we've got a really rare interview today. We've got two people on. Uh, also, major diabetes online community celebrities alert. Um, I've got Eric and Annalisa from the Diabadass Tour. You guys know them um from the interwebs maybe encountered them on this wild journey like i did um not on elisa unfortunately but eric at least and uh, they're both here on the podcast to join us today so welcome to the show thanks for having us thank you for having us rob well um on elisa i hate to like i hate that i didn't get to meet you because i got to meet eric and hug his face yeah, and, I heard about the skydiving, the non-skydiving adventure. <laughs> yeah, like the, you mean just the down and the back brunch. daily the trip best to brunch five hour Five-hour car ride to a brunch. <laughs> hey, you know, if you don't have friends that'll drive five hours down and back, like, I guess probably six-hour round trip uh, minimum for brunch, I mean, get new friends. That's all I'm saying. It's <laughs> true. It was worth it. Uh, it definitely was. So... All right. Uh, my show is typically starts at diagnosis. I want to touch on that a little bit, but then I really want to dive into you guys' relationship and where it started, how you guys met, uh, where this idea came from, and then what it was like to just go on this journey. So who's going to start the diagnosis? Who? I guess who got diagnosed first? I will start there. I think Eric did. I'll, uh, I was 10 years ago, so I'll, I'll dive into it. But I was... It's interesting because I'm actually with my high school friend right now, Matt Scott. And so I was 16 when I was diagnosed, but right at the beginning of sophomore year. And for those of you who haven't met me, like always been this skinny, kind of lanky kid. And I came back to school and everyone's like, Eric, you're looking so skinny. I remember looking back, I'm like, I'm always skinny. You know, it's like meeting Rob and saying, wow, Rob, you're so tall. It's like, what else What else do you want to obviously point out? But that's <laughs> when I ended up in the hospital for, you know, four or five days. But I lost, I think, 15 pounds in about two weeks. So I was just shedding weight. I had all the water bottles in my room, the classic signs of peeing every 20 minutes. <laughs> and I think it's surprising 
that I didn't catch it earlier because my grandfather actually had type 1. He was diagnosed in like 1940 and lived with it for like 83 years. So when I try to do awareness campaigns, I think about my own life in terms of like the warning signs should have been very obvious and on my mind, but it still was missed by my family for a while. Well, and I mean, you weren't around in 1940, neither was your parents, right? So I don't know how much time, you know, you spend on a daily basis with your grandpa, but right, you know, there's a, you know, those warnings. It's kind of interesting because my, I mean, my dad lived obviously with, with his father. So it's something that I think families can be more aware of. And obviously there's some, you know, kind of antibody testing and stuff we can do, but you know, if you have a parent who's type one and then you have kids, you think it would be kind of, you'd be hyper aware to it. Should I go ahead? Yeah, go on, dive on in. All right. Um, yeah, so I also had, I was um, 17 when I was diagnosed, and I had all the classic symptoms, like textbook symptoms, um, you know, being really thirsty, having to go to the bathroom all the time, losing, I think I lost like 20 pounds, and I just remember eating so much. Like, I, I remember eating a whole, like, plate of funnel cake um, <laughs> when I was on the <laughs> Who could on forget Venice Beach like in California, um, and... Yeah, I just had all the classic symptoms, and I remember, like, sitting in English class, and the teacher, like, we were just going around reading out loud from, like, Othello, um, and I just remember it, like, coming to my turn, and I just couldn't, like, I just couldn't even read the words in front of me, and I usually have, like, perfect vision. Um, so, yeah, when I told the pediatrician that I had to go to the bathroom all the time, that's kind of, like, when the penny dropped for them. Um, but it took six months for them to figure it out, which is insane um, because it was just like textbook symptoms, as I said. Um, so, yeah, I just remember going um, like sitting in the subway with my mom on the way to the hospital and just like like I had no idea what type one diabetes was. And the only thing that I remember was like I thought that it meant that you had to take a shot like once a day. <laughs> Um, and so I just remember being like nervous about that to my mom that I would like would have to take a shot every day for the rest of my life. Um, and it's just like funny because like little did I know. Right. Um, like how lucky could we be <laughs> just one? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently I had like my blood sugar was so high that it couldn't even be right on the monitor. And I like I could have been in a coma with what I had. So I guess I was lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I think a because we were all diagnosed like on the relatively around the same time of our lives, like 16, 17 years old. There's like so many changes going on anyway. And, you know, like we said, there's all these like classic symptoms and, and yet they go unnoticed, right? Because yeah. they're relatively normal. And sometimes, you know, you lose a little bit of weight. Um, you know, you are going to the bathroom a little bit, you're a little bit tired, but you know, you're a kid, you're a teenager. There's like all these other changes and all these other things that are occupying your attention. Um, what do you guys think was the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome just like because of that part of your life, like being a teenager? Just having to like apply to colleges at that time and like juggling the fact that I was like my life was changing in that perspective, but then I also had to deal with this new like disease that I had to learn how to manage. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I remember just coming back to high school, and every like teenager knows how many things you're trying to juggle, and just having another thing on top of that felt like a lot, especially the first kind of two years. Of there's so much, and I think a lot of people us look back on that. But there's so much that's going on just in your normal day to day life, and then all of a sudden you have these extra ten things, you know, ten plus things that you have to be dealing with. I think that's a lot to to adjust and figure out. Yeah, I'm thankful that I'm like naturally an organized person. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, is that something that you just always had, or did you just like magnify it more after you you know, were diagnosed? Yeah, I think that definitely helps, um, especially with just like being good about checking my blood sugar and everything. Like before the before the Dexcom, I was like obsessively checking my blood sugar. I think it was like fourteen or fifteen times a day. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> I guess I've always like, you know, I've I've never been like that type of sort of obsessive blood sugar checker, I guess you would call it. And like obsessive, I feel like has a negative connotation and I don't mean it that way at all. Right. But I know people now, people who don't wear CGMs or even people that do, they like check their blood sugar all the time. What do you think? Is that just a like curiosity? Is that just a did you ever journal or like? track all your blood sugar throughout the day and just like look at that bell curve what was that what was that like what drove that and and eric are you the same way yeah i think i got it from um from my mom because she was a graphic designer and she would like make all these like really um detailed like charts for me to fill out with all my information like my blood sugar and what i ate and everything um and i was just really good about filling those out yeah, and I feel like I've always been, I think diabetes has forced me to be a more organized person, but I think someone who's naturally a, a go with the flow, figure out the plan. I think there's times where I've had to be very diligent and mindful about trying to recognize patterns and stuff. It's something that doesn't come naturally. Like other people, I'd say I check my blood sugar a lot, but I never really reflected on what's what's the thing causing a reoccurring problem like I feel like when you go to the endocrinologist they're like why does this specifically happen and you're always like oh I haven't actually thought of it that way and so I feel like having diabetes for 10 years now it forces you to become more organized with it yeah and I think you know it's just one of those things that turns you into more of a type a personality right or you know a to quote like a Lauren Bongiorno type quote, like decide and conquer or a, Hey, I've got this happened. And so I've got to act this certain way. Um, or, you know, taking in that data analysis, like feedback, like real time data and real time feedback, and then deciding and making it an actionable response. Uh, I was very similar. I was not a very like data oriented, like, uh, organized type person until I was diagnosed and it's like, no, okay, now here's my routine. I do this. This is what I do because now it's part of my life. It's always interesting. So how did you guys meet? Give me the story. Who, who wants to tell it? Who tells like, and it's always interesting. I wish I could interview you guys like separately in, in closed off rooms so you guys could <laughs> see who, who's like story holds up or who remembers like the exact moment. What, uh, who wants to take this one? As we both wait, (laughs) for those of you listening, Annalise and I are actually in separate cities right now. So it's a balancing act between all three of us. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And you guys are doing great, by the way. (laughs) 
Go ahead, Ali. So. Um, yeah, so um, I think I was like, it was only, let me think, I was diagnosed in 2009. Um, and for a while, I just didn't really know anyone else with type 1 diabetes um, until like in 2015, my friend was like, why don't you go on Meetup and just like look for a support group or I guess we don't want to call them support groups, but just like other diabetics. Um, so I joined this meetup group um, based in New York, and that's where I met Eric at, at this potluck that was actually on my father's roof. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's where I met Eric, and we kind of, like, had been talking about the idea of biking across the country. Um, I don't know if we want to, like, get into that story now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, we had been talking about it for a while. I had done it, actually, when I was 16 years old. Um I did the, I biked across the northern part of the United States and it was just like basically the highlight of my life. And I figured if I had the chance to, I would, I would do it again. Um, so I guess like the moment that I remember like deciding that or just thinking that this could be a possibility is when I, um, I had coffee with Eric like a few years later and we had both been laid off from our jobs and Eric just told me that he was going to, like let go of his lease and rent a van and like drive around the country and try to talk to a lot of diabetics, which like eventually became the diabetes tour. <laughs> um, so when I, when I heard him say that and I was, um, I was just like freelancing at home, kind of going crazy from being at home all the time. Um, but when I heard him say that, I was like, wait a minute, like, why can't I do something like that? And that's where I was just like, like, why don't I bike across the country again? Cause that was just like, the yeah like the craziest thing I've ever done and something that I would do again <laughs> so that's where um I kind of like came up with that idea and then we eventually did it a few months later <laughs> that's so cool like and I mean I think really too as my my puppy is like sneezing into the <laughs> microphone this is just like a funny little thing I wish you guys could see his dumb face so um <laughs> For you guys, like, and Annalisa, like, when, you, when you're when you 16, talk to me a little bit about, like, I don't know, I feel like it breaks down a barrier when you do something dramatic, right? Like, bike across the country. That's, like, a huge peak experience. Do okay. those, like, do those types of decisions now, like, with that sort of in, like, already sitting on your shelf of, like, life trophies, did this sort of idea come a little bit easier or, you know, was the, were there still those sort of hesitations, fears, like typical voices in the back of your head? Like, ah, I don't know if this is such a good idea. Talk through those types of things and maybe Eric chip in as well. Sure. So, um, yeah, uh, another reason. So there's an, a lot of reasons why I chose to bike across the country, but like the main one was my, my mother. Um, she passed away a few years ago and just like, the PTSD of like seeing her in the hospital unconscious and like unable to even take like two steps down the hallway um, just made me want to take advantage of my own health and like the fact that I could do something crazy like this. Um, so that's what kind of made the decision for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful, right? Like taking advantage and like, you know, putting it into your own, you know, being mm -hmm. taking a glimpse of, you know, what, you uh, sometimes like take for granted right like it's easy for for people i think and i don't want to generalize but you know you get that sort of autonomic response where you're just like walking through each day and you don't really consider where you are in your life so come kind of, what like a gift almost to see 
you know, the you kind of in those moments of pain see your own mortality a bit and get to, you know, get to act on it. For sure, yeah. What about you, Eric? Was it was it tough? What was you know you you get laid off? A lot of people may you know take that as like a negative thing, and yet you both like turned it into a positive. Yeah, it's interesting because so I ended up joining Annalisa like a week into her trip actually. <laughs> And it's because, so I was like bouncing back and forth for like six months. I was like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Which I think a lot of us do with many ideas. And so right after I left, or right after that job ended, my old company reached out to me. I was like, Eric, it seems like you're having a lot of fun. It seems like you have some free time. And they're like, you want to come in on an interview. And that was the moment I actually flip the switch where they're like, do you want to start on Monday? And I was like, I have to go bike across the U S and it was only like three days later that everything <laughs> was thrown together. <laughs> Did you say that out loud to them in the interview? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> it was just this, like a rush of a emo- like rush of emotions where I was like, I couldn't imagine myself being back in an office. I couldn't imagine myself waking up and doing this thing when I've been telling people are like debating with this idea for five or six months. And I was like, Annalisa at that point was like, I'm going. And so we did it with another um, girl as well named Taylor, who's down in New Orleans. And Annalisa was like, I'm doing it with Taylor. Like, I hope you come with us. And I was like, I'll let you know. And it was just back and forth, back and forth. And that was like the deciding moment. And that's what I think is so difficult about leaving for a trip. Like so many people who've been traveling for a long time, they're like, getting out the door was the hardest part. And I totally resonate with that. Well, right. Like the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, but you still got to take that step. Um, I was at the diabetes students with diabetes conference this past week. Um, and Sebastian, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm not even going to say it, but he is this French Canadian <laughs> and he, he, jo- he ran across Canada and like climbed Everest. And, you know, he was saying like, these giant trips like that seem like these huge peak moments. He's like to run across the Sahara. I I trained and I kept my training, but I started rubbing my foot in gravel for five minutes a day in my backyard. And he's like, it's these simple type things that when you look back, you've come a long way, but they start with these just actions. So, you know, I mean, I think it's awesome. Like for those things to all click in place while you just got your offered your old job back and you're just like, no, I got to go do this. That reminds me of this quote. Um, I actually, I wrote an essay about the trip uh, for Mike.com after, um, after the Trans Am. And I was collecting like quotes from different people who I met on the road who were also biking um, just about like what they learned from the journey. Um, and I actually just like pulled up the quote now. Um, this was from Noah Nassari, who was going, um, he was also going on the Trans Am. And he said, um, 100 miles is a long way, but 10 isn't. A pizza cutter was invented because it's so much easier to eat pizza slice by slice than to attempt the whole pie. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was like a <laughs> good summary of it. <laughs> Do you manage your A1C through eating well and exercising regularly? Of course you do. You listen to this podcast. You're on the cutting edge. Then you deserve the lower life insurance rates from Health IQ, the only insurance company that's giving you savings, rewarding your healthy lifestyle. Just go to healthiq.com/ddt. Diabetics doing things. DDT. 
to get your free quote and support the show. And yeah, like when you're, you know, like you said, 100 miles is a long way, but 10 isn't. And then it's just 10 of those, right? What uh, <laughs> did that ever like come like when did that come into focus for you guys when you're on the road? Also, like, how do you, Eric, how do you just go find her and meet up with her on the road? Like, Annalisa was obviously, like, ahead of you. Where, did you you just wait? What was the, how did that work? I'm just interested in, like, the actual tactics of this happening. (laughs) There are a few logistical uh, complexities throughout the trip. Yeah, it started with a, it started with visiting REI about five times to actually get my bike put together and everything loaded. But then it was a road trip to basically Western Virginia slash the beginning of Kentucky. And that's where I actually meet them. And I remember first time seeing Taylor and she's like, wow, I can't believe you're actually here. Like, <laughs> like you're real. <laughs> I can't believe you're a real person and this is actually happening. And there were some other logistical, so like halfway, biking halfway across the, tra- um, the US, I was already signed up for the New York City Triathlon. And so I had to fly out of Denver and then figure out at what rate Annalisa and Taylor would be biking and then ship my bike ahead and then land and rejoin them. And that was an interesting uh, logistical feat as well. Wow, that sounds like a lot of math. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, are they going to go 40 miles a day, 100 miles a day? (laughs) Be good weather, bad weather. And like past Denver, like west of Denver, obviously like there are the mountains, but then it's just like the badlands of Utah. It's like nothing. Yeah, we didn't go through Utah. We went through Wyoming. Okay. Um, but it's it's funny, like the Rockies sound like really hard, but um, like the first, the first week was through like the Appalachian Mountains and then the Ozarks in Missouri. And those are actually much harder than the Rockies because they're just like totally steep. Um, the grades are really intense. Um, they basically just like build a road straight up a mountain. Like they don't do any switchbacks. Um, so once we got to the Rockies, like they seemed like a breeze compared. Wow. That's interesting. You know, I guess, you know, you don't think about it cause you look at the numbers and it's like, oh yeah, this would be harder, but I guess it's all <laughs> in who built the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're more gradual, but they're higher. <laughs> What stands out to you guys as like, you know, maybe besides Eric going and running the New York City Triathlon halfway through, um, what were like some obstacles maybe just in the day to day that you guys came came into? Maybe diabetes related, maybe not. What do you? What stands out? I think we I were. Just, go uh, ahead, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think about those first days when we were at Mammoth Cave National Park. I remember that was, this is a very diabetes thing, but figuring out like the first two weeks on the bike, I remember that was the day I hit the highest high and the lowest low on my Dexcom. And it was just like trying to, the biggest challenge was trying to figure out how to eat close to 4,000 calories on top of biking, you know, roughly 60 miles a day on top of just adjusting to all these different factors. And it was extremely tough like I look back and I'm like my blood sugars were crazy in the beginning because it was so many factors that were like extremely difficult to try to figure out how your body's adjusting to that yeah I remember in Virginia like before Eric joined us I was just high a lot of the time Uh, maybe it was because of the dehydration and the fact that there was like a huge heat wave in Virginia that was maybe making my insulin bad Um, but I just remember being high a lot and like hitting 
300 and just thinking from like what doctors have told me in the past that I like I should not exercise and I should drink a lot of water take a lot of insulin and just wait it out um but when like when Eric joined us he was just like yeah like don't listen to the doctors just like take a drink a lot of water take a lot of insulin and then just like keep pedaling and then it drops in like 20 minutes (laughs) right it's like it's just funny I feel like that sums Eric up a little bit. Just like, come on, don't listen to the doctor. Just, <laughs> just like go don't through. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know, the real life version. But yeah, I think we were both high a lot also at night um, because our bodies were so used to biking like all day long that when we, like we joke that when we put our foot down in the campground, our blood sugar would just like skyrocket like a switch. <laughs> and our Dexcoms were just like beeping all night long. And, like, in those moments, like, because you guys are going through a lot of the same, like, metabolic reactions, right, and response, uh, what was it like to have somebody there with you? Because, obviously, uh, Annalisa, you experienced it, you know, without Eric there, you know, the first couple weeks. Um, You know, what's it like to have somebody that knows what you're going through as those things are happening? Does it make it easier? Or, you know, somebody that's like, hey, oh, yeah, don't worry, just give yourself insulin and ride it out. Mm -hmm. Did we lose you? Oh, no. (laughs) Um, I just wasn't sure who wanted to go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's it's easier um, just because you have that other person who, like, understands what you're going through and, like, why you have to stop and wait. (laughs) Um, Yeah. What about you, Eric? What was, like, you know, for you, like, you're in those moments, you're staying present, and you're still like, man, I'm frustrated with my diabetes, but at least I have somebody here with me. It's it's definitely reassuring, um, because I when I was biking on the West Coast, I was just by myself, and I was kind of, so I was on the pod for a little bit of the trip, and I was on Medtronic for a little bit of the trip, but you know, as much planning as you do, I was always like, oh, well, if something happens, I kind of have Annalisa there as a backup. You know, so it's like if my pod expires, you know, there's someone else that has pods on this trip. If I need, like if my meter, you know, something happens to it. And just that reassurance was very nice to have. Like there is at least one really scary moment going, like going along Oregon where I thought I lost my meter and then I had all my test strips, but I didn't have a meter for those test strips. And I was like, oh, I'm here out in the middle of a fire road. I'm by myself. Like, Annalise is nowhere around. I was like, this could be a serious, <laughs> yeah, serious, like, incident that, you know, when you have people that have type 1, it, it helps build some resiliency around those issues. It's actually funny because we, um, we met another diabetic who was bicycle touring across the country but going the other direction. Um, it was a sibling team, and they were raising money for type 1 diabetes. It's called the, the Livabetes Tour. <laughs> um, but we, we bumped into them, like, in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Um, and it was funny because, like, I was out of, um, I was out of good insulin because all my insulin had gone bad. Um, and he was out of Dexcom sensors. <laughs> so we just, like, had this little black market trade in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> that was kind of cool don't you love how like black markets can just pop up wherever there's a group of type ones (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> what do you uh, what do you wait too much of what do you wait too little of yeah it's like hey i oh yeah you don't use these oh i use those all the time i need let's, <laughs> let's make this uh let's make this easy um so for you guys like um when the journey was over or or continued over for you annalisa and then uh you know eric obviously you continued on and then you know started jumping on trains as well uh, when did this sort of die badass tour become a little bit bigger than just you guys riding across the country? When it, when it became, um, sort of a figurehead in the community? Because I remember when I saw it, you guys were already underway. Um, you know, you were really sort of more close to the end and that's more of just me, maybe not paying as much close of attention as I could have, uh, <laughs> rather than you guys, uh, you know, promoting it. But I was like, wow, okay, this is like a really neat thing. These people, uh, just did this on their own, not necessarily as part of like a bike beyond type uh, endeavor. Uh, when did you guys know it's like, oh wow, we like we're we're doing something here? You know, we have this community behind us. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a side like things that kept me going is that some realizations of biking every day is that, you know, especially when you're on a self-supported tour, is that there is so much that Annalise and I were doing every single day just to keep things going. And so, you know, you're doing your logistics, you're trying to ride 60 miles, you're trying to figure out where your housing is next. And there's a certain beauty to that. And there's a lot of communities that you end up getting involved with. But why I want to continue on a train tour was really to spend like a week in each place. And that's how, you know, like when I was down in Texas, you know, I was able to hit San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas, and that was like super awesome that there was, I was in that community for like almost three weeks actually, and actually get to meet people, have those exchanges. And I think it's just exciting, you know, kind of talking about our next steps that Annalisa and I, you know, we just pitched Adventure Cycling Association to write a whole article about traveling with type one diabetes. And I think her and I usually try to think about how can we expand spreading knowledge outside of our specific community? Like, how do you actually get the message beyond type 1 diabetics? And so I'm really excited to write an article for the cycling community, which is about type 1 diabetes, you know, because their network is 100,000 people who read their magazine. But then it's also people who might read that article who haven't been exposed in the diabetic realm at all. And start learning something. Yeah, I yeah, think we're gonna. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I think about that sort of uh, juxtaposition a lot, right? Because you know it's easy to get caught up in the diabetes community because we're, you know, obviously that's where we are all, you know, first involved. But then there's all these other things that we do as people, as people with diabetes that you know may not know, and you're able to you know expand on those sort of tactics exercise is one health and wellness and nutrition is another obviously cycling and you know people that uh, are run triathlons and marathons and there's sort of these sort of niche communities of people living with type one that they do uh, and they can you know pass along that knowledge share it's always interesting to see the response right because you put in all this effort on your end uh, and really taken all the risk to experiment with um, and and learn about and then passing that on to other people um, and people who you know maybe aren't don't have diabetes can still learn something from those things 
that was sort of just a you know looping uh, <laughs> yeah there we go looping again uh just inside of you know what what's it like for you guys a what do you think the biggest tips are that you could give somebody writing with type one uh like what's your big three if you're going to write across the country with type one diabetes what are your big three uh li- what's your top three list and then how do, how can that apply with to someone without diabetes well, I think my top three applies. Number one is just to get out there. Um, you know, I talk about how I left this trip without any training. Like, so day one was the first time I ever had my bike assembled and had all the gear on it. And I remember one riding up the first hill, which was just going out of like a driveway. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm in for a little bit more than I realized. But I talk about how the first moments of anything, the first two weeks, is going to be tough no matter what. When Sebastian was running across Canada, or if that was the Sahara that we said, like I'm sure the first two weeks was insanely tough for him. But going back to the, you know, to go on a thousand mile journey, you have to do the first mile out your door. And I think that's so true for people of any age. And I think being diagnosed with type one diabetes, we realize that your health is no guarantee. I think to an extent when I look at my friends with type one and what they accomplish, it's so incredible. I think this disease motivates them to go above and beyond uh, and push themselves. And then, you know, kind of tip two and tip three are pretty practical. Tip two is probably actually set a, a timer every hour. And that's just to check in on, you know, water, nutrition, blood sugars. It's the like it's very easy to get caught up in cycling or any activity. And I think as diabetic athletes, you have to check in on your body more frequently. And then uh, tip three is if if you have to crush calories, I crush a lot of peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> we ate so much peanut butter. It's crazy. <laughs> I was I was gonna say before we dive into like the you know kind of breaking down those tips because I think they're great. You, you mentioned, you know, you're trying to eat 4,000 calories a day after you ride 60 to 100 miles. What did you guys eat? Because, like, you can't carry all that food with you, you know, so you're going into small towns across America. Are you guys just crushing pancakes at IHOP? What was the deal? <laughs> we ate a lot of gorp. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, good old raisins and peanuts. I learned that from Eric. <laughs> wow. Um, it's, a, it's like trail mix that usually hikers bring. Um, but we would basically just have like a whole bag of, of gorp and just like put a bunch of like cereal, raisins, like any sort of trail mix item in there. Um, and just like shove handfuls in our mouths, like every, every hour or so, every 30 minutes. <laughs> Cause you got to keep that blood sugar up. Got to keep it up. I think it's crazy. And you know, what diabetic athletes or athletes with diabetes can teach other people might my sensitivity, so normally my carb ratio, so I take about 50 units a day, and my carb ratio is generally around 1 to 10, so one unit for every 10 carbs. And when I was biking, it got close to one unit for every 100. So I remember like eating an entire loaf of bread in one day, and I was like, I would never do that if I was just sitting around. Like That would be like <laughs> me being in the 400s all day, and I was just like, that happens so easily. Yeah, it's funny. You, you eat so many calories, like probably – triple what you usually eat um and you usually end up people end up gaining weight because you just like eat more than you burn because you're just so hungry all the time (laughs) 
Yeah, I remember I played in a like a three on three basketball tournament. Not even that like serious competition, but it was from like seven a.m. to two p.m. and you know every half hour playing like a pretty intense game. And I probably drank like four 32 ounce Gatorades during that time <laughs> with no, like no, no insulin at all on board for those. Like, wow. I'm like, okay. like, and my body was just like, I need more. Give me more. I'm a, I'm an engine <laughs> burning down. Yeah. And there's so many other factors that affected our blood sugar that like I had no idea about. Like when we were, um, in Colorado, and we started gaining elevation. I think we were at like nine or ten thousand feet. Um, my yeah, my blood sugar was just like really high, and it would not go down. And yeah, I think Eric had the same problem. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those, uh, I mean uh, Rob, you know, I'm, I started looping now, but it's it's interesting because I wasn't. We weren't on any of these systems, so we were trying to do it all manually, and that comes into the challenge of Generally, you know, we're biking till four or five o'clock and then we're having this huge dinner and we're no longer biking and we have like the elevation gain and all that stuff. And that's where I feel like a lot of times we're just high all night, which was really tough to deal with in the morning. Do you guys find, and this is just my own personal experience, like when you, after a night of sleeping, when you're, even if you're not super high, you know, over 180, lower than 250, you just feel like you've been put in the dishwasher or just like the washing machine and like you didn't get any rest at all. Yeah, it's a diabetes hangover. (laughs) Mostly just from not like, from not sleeping and being, you know, awoken by those alarms. So, uh, Annalisa, for you, what were your big three? Well, uh, we heard from Eric, which is great, and we're going to go into a little bit. Um, But what were your big three and how are they different? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Eric covered a lot of them. Um, but I think the first two weeks were definitely like an experiment, um, because we really had no idea how, like how this much biking would affect our blood sugars. So I think I learned the most about, um, like how to fine tune the ratios as much as I could, um, in those first two weeks. Um, but then it really helped to be organized with my trip and kind of set out, um, places across the country that my dad could send um, resupply boxes of my medications. So I would like, I grouped um, boxes together of like certain amounts of Omnipods and, um, you know, different me- different medications. And then he would ship them to like gas stations across the country. So that was a nice way to kind of not, not carry all my medications with me. <laughs> um, so being prepared in that sense helped. And then... Uh, yeah, I guess just smaller things like always carrying enough snacks on you. <laughs> you never know if you're going to be like in the middle of nowhere with nothing. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, diabetes, I, I try to always equate to like the Boy Scouts motto, right? Like, or, or the, <laughs> I guess the Scouts motto now, like be prepared. Uh, because it's just one extra step to everything you're going to do for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> and just requires that like mindfulness and thought. Um, and it's kind of interesting, like back to, uh, to Eric's number one of like, just take the step. I mean, taking the step is also being prepared. Like those two go hand in hand. Like you've got to start planning those things out logistically, uh, being ready to measure them. Um, and I mean, so many things in life. And I think I hear it more and more 
through the you know lifestyle entrepreneur type community that's sort of having its moment right now is like starting something and just doing a little bit every day is really the common denominator for anybody who is living a happy life a success quote unquote successful life doing what they want to do uh, and then like not giving up because i'm sure there were tough days on and we've heard about some of them already tough days on the trail on the road across the u.s that you know, you guys were questioning whether you could go on or whether you wanted to keep going or whatever the case may be. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's so many things that happened over a year. But I think, I mean, it's fascinating because so many, so when you're doing the Trans-America Trail, you actually are kind of in a group of 20, I would say. So there's three of us, but then, you know, we have what we call our trail family. But, you know, there's a veterans group that left because it's like you all leave at a popular time. And getting to observe a lot of these groups interact over three months and like, you know, kind of what divided people, what were the challenges, you know, you leave with one group and end with another. And overall, I think most people don't go on a trip that's long and it really tests you a lot of ways, both physically, but then the mental side is, is very challenging to deal with. And so you kind of have to learn how to always adapt and always change your plans. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people ask me like what the downsides were and if there were like moments where I thought that I would not continue. Um, but yeah, like not to sound cheesy or anything, but just like looking back on it, um, I just, I feel like all those moments kind of like fade away because I'm just so glad that I could even take the trip in the first place. Um, but yeah, like some of those those low moments, um, like I remember one of them in uh, Wyoming, I was climbing uh, this pass called Togwodi Pass, and like every single thing that could have gone wrong, like was going wrong. <laughs> um, like I had, I had a flat tire, and it started like raining, um, and there was there were these swarms of mosquitoes that just like would not stop swarming you unless you went faster than ten miles an hour, which you couldn't because you were climbing a mountain. <laughs> um, and then my blood sugar was like had the two down arrows and. I had to stop and eat, which like attracted more of the bugs. Um, but I think that's like what people call type two fun, which is like, like it was miserable at the time, but like looking back on it, it was just funny. So I feel like we had a lot of those moments. What is it? What does they say? Tragedy plus time equals comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's great. And I, I mean, I think you're right. You know, if you don't sweat the small stuff um, and even in those moments, like just keeping on going and pushing forward to the next thing, what seems like a big like deal at the time ends up not being one. Yeah, becomes a fun anecdote. <laughs> right. That you get to tell <laughs> those are the, later those are the stories you share when you're having, uh, you know, beer with your friends. Yeah. I also think it's funny how people are so fascinated with like the hard, like down moments. No one ever asks you like, Oh, what was your favorite part? <laughs> like, oh, what, what was the best lighthearted moment? They always want to know, like, when did you have to pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? And you <laughs> think everything is super easy. <laughs> yeah. So what's next for you guys? What's, uh, what's on the diabetes horizon for you two? So we just launched a Kickstarter. I guess we can talk about that. Yeah, plug it. <laughs> um, this is your plug chance. <laughs> sure. Um, so on that Trans Am trip last year, um, I took a picture of everyone that I met. Not everyone, but a lot of people. <laughs> um, the people that I met along the way. 
Um, so riding a loaded touring bicycle, excuse me, bicycle causes a lot of people to like stare at you and ask you questions. Um, we, we kind of joked that we should carry a sign that just like answered all the usual questions. Like, where are you coming from? Where are you going? Like, how much does that bike weigh? Um, (laughs) so people would just ask us so many questions. And so I just decided to like turn the question around on them and kind of take their portrait and kind of jot down just an anecdote about like our, our meeting and something that I learned about them. And this collection came to be known as Miles of, well, it was called 4,000 Miles of Portraits at the time. Um, But since I kind of want to continue this around the world, um, Eric and I are actually continuing the project in Alaska this summer where we're going to ride 1,000 miles and document the people that we meet there. Um, And Eric will actually be shooting a, a short film while I'll be taking, I'll be like focusing on taking the pictures. Um, but yeah, it's like a great um, way for us to get to know a place and kind of the ways that the bicycle brings people together. Oh, it's so cool. Love that. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, I mean, like a humans of New York, but on your journey, you get to, <laughs> and from your perspective, right? That's super neat. That's super cool. Exactly. So we just launched a, a Kickstarter today, actually, to fund the, the production of um, a magazine and a short film. Um, so, well, now you guys have done it because, uh, because you launched the Kickstarter today and all Kickstarters have a time frame. Now, uh, I've got to get off my butt and publish this, uh, podcast before I move it up in my queue. So, uh, you guys did it. You guys catfished me into getting this, uh, to the front of the line. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Beautiful. Can't wait. Yeah, just I do it for you guys. This is uh, this is. I'm just like, oh yeah, oh no, now I've got to get this thing out. All right, time to get to work. <laughs> you have until June 30th to pledge. Great. Well, then that is perfect. I'll make sure to get it published with a couple weeks time so people can donate. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, and Eric, I mean, you uh, you're going back to Jersey next week. Uh, what is that going to be? Are you looking forward to like that sort of symbolic moment? I know you've been back, but like, you know, this is the, the loop that you're closing the loop of your closed loop. <laughs> yeah. So I actually leave tomorrow at 7am and no, I'm, ex- I mean, I'm extremely excited. It, it feels, I think being on the road for a, a year now partnering up with Annalisa, there's a lot of lessons that were learned over the over an entire year, but, you know, I'll be taking a month off and then I say a month off and, you know, I'll be speaking at Camp Nageta, you know, depending on when this is published and hopefully going up to Maine to join the Connect in the Motion group. Uh, so it's going to be busy, but I'm excited to take a month off one because there's so much footage and photography and there's probably photos of Rob I've never posted. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited for that month kind of just to share things and then to have this focus project with Annalisa where we're going out. And, you know, I think something that Annalisa and I talked about for a while with this project is, you know, how prominent should diabetes be portrayed? And I think that's an interesting thing about the creative process is that it originally started as a pitch of calling it carrying the burden because we have a pannier bag, like a small backpack on our bike that legitimately is all of our diabetic gear. So I was like, it's a very physical representation of our 
stuff. Right. But we ended up changing that into Miles of Portraits, where we'll tell other people's stories, but then share our own stories. So diabetes will be in there, but it's kind of will be secondary instead of the most prominent thing. So I'm, I'm super excited for that. Yeah, and we also have this article that's going to come out later this year, kind of telling the story of the adventure through our our blood sugar graphs. Well, and I think too, you know, it's a it's an interesting way to look at life with diabetes, right? Because it's a it's a big character. It's like a recurring character in all of our lives, but it doesn't have to always be the star. And uh, there are sometimes when it is, and like you have these big victorious moments or these you know, shortcomings or obstacles that you overcome uh, or run into. But it's sort of a thing that can just be addressed when it's when you feel it's appropriate and everyone's relationship can be different along whatever journey that they're going on. Uh, 100%. I think it's, you know, someone like yourself that's so involved in the diabetic realm, I think it's interesting to see how we play it and, you know, I love that you have all these conversations with different people and to see how we all approach the exact same thing. I think that's kind of what keeps you involved in the diabetic realm is just hearing everyone's stories. And it's, it's like we're all brought together by something, but everyone does it so differently, which is what's it's cool. It is. And it's like it's, it's very it's refreshing. I think I pick up something from everyone. And, you know, it all, also, though, I am more mindful now because I see it all the time of diabetes burnout. And if you're not afraid and not just burnout of like taking care of yourself, but burnout of talking about it too much or seeing too much of it. And it's a real thing. And I can always tell when, uh, you know, a new diabetes account will pop up or a new diabetes campaign. And I'm just like, okay, one day at a time, one step at a time. Um, and if you keep pushing, you'll be fine. But I see a lot of like, you know, the first two weeks will be really like consistent and then people fall off because I think they underestimate how heavy that burden can be uh, if it's that main character, if it's all about that. But if it's about something else or someone else, uh, you know, what kind of power and like energy you can get from that. So I'm really excited for you guys. That's super cool. Thank you, Rob. And then and then you you think the skydiving event's going to happen soon? Oh, man, I. uh I'm super stoked to do it. Like I honestly, I just had like a tough day a couple of weeks ago and I was like, man, I might just go up and do this myself. Um, but then I knew that, uh, I'd never live it down from Marie. So I have not done it. So, um, yeah, it's gotta happen. Uh, I'm real excited to when it actually does, we can all actually make this thing go. Cause I still have never jumped out of a plane. That's still a thing I got to cross off my list. I've never done it either. Well, you got to come with us. Ride your bike down. Let's <laughs> Maybe do it. I will. Maybe I'll ride my bicycle there. Yeah. Just we will all go. Team. <laughs> so, you know, as we're kind of coming towards the end of the, the time, um, I asked the same question to all my guests. And so I got to ask you both uh, the question. So context is important. And, you know, since Eric has been traveling around to stations of many kinds, train stations, airports, um, and Annalisa, you've been along as well. Uh, imagine you're in an airport and you're at the, at your gate and they're about to close the door to your gate. Uh, and for whatever reason, you can't miss the flight. Like there's something on the other end that you've got to be at. It's important, but you bump into somebody who's either been recently diagnosed or is struggling with their type one. And 
You have 30 seconds to tell them one thing. What's the one thing that you tell them in that time? I think I would, um, yeah, I would tell them that, I mean, it's kind of, it's a downer to be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, but there's like so many upsides to it. Like, I feel like I wouldn't have been so knowledgeable about nutrition if it weren't for diabetes, and I wouldn't have, like, I feel like before I was diagnosed, I just didn't eat as well. And so I'm just so much more aware of like my nutrition and the ways that my like body works. And I feel like I've learned so much from having it. And so I guess I would just tell them about like the fact that there are upsides to it. Yeah, I love that. Super true. Eric, how about you? I'd probably tell them that life is one giant experiment. And just to tell them that they can go do anything. And often they might have to figure it out on their own way, but there's always a way to accomplish it. Um, and I think there's many moments in my life I felt that way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like it, diabetes is just that microcosm of, of your entire life, right? Just in little moments. <laughs> like every single day is an experiment, like 10 different times with diabetes. And just it's like that I, graph is like a metaphor of your life <laughs> at every moment. It's just like we've come back to that loop of, of that lo- of the, the loop of life, the closed loop of life. The closed loop. Uh, that's great. Oh man, you guys are uh, you guys are great. I, I feel like we touched on like four or five different subjects that we could have entire podcast episodes about. So, um, you know, I I know this will not be the last time that uh, the two or the three of us. Uh, have conversations either together or one-on-one and I really look forward to the next ones Um, for people who want to know where to follow you guys' journeys like where to get involved online I'm going to post the Kickstarter in the show notes but uh, where do they find you guys on like social media go ahead Eric Uh, so they can follow diabadass.com is all the diabadass stuff and then personal account is Eric Dowds E-R-I-K because I'm Scandinavian and then Dowds D O U D S, and I'm also on YouTube. So I'm on Instagram as Annalisa A N N A L I S A V D Berg, and I'm also on Medium. That's where I have my blog. Um, it's medium.com/work-from-bike, um, and if you want to read my story, it's at workfrombike.com. Um, and our Kickstarter is milesofportraits.com slash Kickstarter. I love it. I think that was the first medium plug uh, on this podcast, <laughs> oh, which is cool. uh, which is great. So you should uh, you should feel really good about plugging. Get medium out there. Um, which is uh, which is fantastic, guys. Like, um, I really appreciate you taking the time, making this super easy to to schedule and. Uh, you know, in the midst of all your planning and traveling and all your multiple things that you both have uh, going on all the time. Uh, it, it was really great to talk to you. Great to meet you, Annalisa. And man, Eric, I look forward to the next time uh, we bump into each other, hopefully on a plane that we're jumping out of. Oh, I'm expecting <laughs> a good adventure. This podcast is sponsored by Health IQ. And if you don't remember Health IQ from the previous episodes that they've sponsored, Health IQ is an insurance company on a mission to improve the world's health by rewarding runners, cyclists, weightlifters, swimmers, yogis, well-managed diabetics, and other Americans living a healthy lifestyle. They're actually the first insurance company rewarding patients with type 2 diabetes who manage their A1C with a healthy diet and exercise, with large savings on their life insurance. To support the show, 
and get a free quote, go to healthiq.com slash DDT. 